What the hell is the name of this song? It's Wayne's World. The award-winning Evan Grant. I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, clown number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-chew. Hello again, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Dallas Morning News and SportsDayDFW.com's podcast. This is Cowboys Ballsy. This is Cowboys Ballsy. I'm Evan Grant, along with... I'm Barry Horn, and we have a special guest today, Evan. Who's that? Who might that be? Well, before we get to the special oh, guest, Barry... Oh, my God. Go ahead. Let's just uh, let everybody know that we still expect Kevin Sherrington to return from the Amazon. Uh, he is in Rio... He's in Rio. He was supposed to be fly from Rio to Sao Paulo, but that flight got canceled oh, tough today, luck. Monday. All right. Oh, so you sound, you sound really broken up about that. So anyway, that. our special guest, and we'll get to him in just a moment, is uh, Daryl Moose Johnston, Cowboy, uh, former great running back, and uh, also he, a Fox he was, he was more of a Cowboy analyst. fullback blocker. Fullback blocker. Occasionally he ran the ball. He 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 was a he was a very good at what he did as a player, and I think we both can agree he's outstanding as an analyst. He is. He he and Kenny Albert. Uh, I don't think they have very many Cowboy games early in the season, at least. But he he did work the Cowboy game the other night, the uh, preseason game against the Dolphins. They look good, and it'd be interesting to hear his perspective. Yeah, it will be. So let's get right to him right away. All right, Evan. I'll let you ask the first question. Thanks for joining us, Moose. My pleasure, Evan. Uh, so give us your t- – you did the game uh, against the Dolphins on Thursday for the Blue Star Network, Friday. right? It was Friday, Evan. Friday. Give us your takeaways of what you I- – I think everybody knows Dak Prescott played well. Yes. What What else did you get out of that game? Well, I think the, the impressive thing about Dak Prescott is he continues to kind of prove the model wrong. Uh, you know, there may be some reasons why he's getting a little bit more time uh, with Tony's uh, style of play and, and how they want to kind of ease him back into everything with that first offensive line group, which is going to help any young quarterback. Um, you know, you, you're, pretty, you're pretty sure about your protections. You've got great guys up front. You're moving the ball. I thought the running game with Alfred Morris was a real pleasant surprise uh, against Miami. Um, you know, they've got Indomitian Sue, they've got Mario Williams, they've got some good guys, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, and I thought Dallas's offensive line did a nice job in the running game, and I thought Alfred Morris ran really well. So that all helps Dak Prescott, but you, you can't, you can't kind of get caught up in all this stuff because he is doing things that I don't think anybody expected him to do. I thought his location with the football was really impressive. Um, you know, the, again, the, the, the touchdown down, to Dez uh, was a real nice throw and some tight coverage, but but I like his throws with players on the move. Uh, they're not back shoulder. Uh, he's getting it out in front of them. He's allowing them to catch and run on the move and make some plays. So uh, I, I thought you saw Miami. There was two throws, the, the interception that was called back because of the penalty on roughing the passer. Then he had another throw. Uh, but I think I'm going to put that one on the receiver. The receiver should have come underneath the defender and continued to move, and I think that's what Dak was expecting. So... Um, you know that was later in the game when you're going to have some of those growing pains that a lot of rookie quarterbacks are facing with their time in the preseason. But but he still has been impressive. Uh, but walking away from that, it for me, uh, I, I thought Alfred Morris ran really well. Um, so some other areas uh, that maybe uh, were were not really focused on. Uh, obviously with the defensive line, uh, the questions there coming into camp. I think they had another solid performance. They're taking the ball away. 
which is something this group is going to have to do defensively. And uh, I thought they were real good on the back end, but that really wasn't a surprise to me. I think Dallas's secondary uh, is going to be uh, much better than they were last year. When, when an offense comes out of the huddle and, and you're sitting in the booth, what are you looking for? What do you watch as a play progresses? I go outside first. It's become such a perimeter-based attack today. Uh, what's the formation? What's the personnel coming to the line? Um, and you kind of see those matchups. Um, you know, can you get a good idea? And, and sometimes we've had that information, um, you know, during our meetings, our production meetings with the, uh, with the teams where they think their matchups are favorable, uh, some things that they would like to do uh, during the course of the game. So, uh, you know, my eyes stay on the outside, and then I'll work back inside. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's something that's kind of changed from being a football player to now being an analyst. Uh, when I was playing, I was inside out. So it, it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me working from the outside in. Uh, but I think that that's where, you know, that's where all the advantages are uh, in today's style of play. Do, do you watch the quarterback? Is, is, are your eyes on when the ball is snapped? Do you watch the quarterback? Do you watch the center? Do you watch the guards? What are you looking at? I, I try to catch releases on the outside. You know, if it's uh, if it's a, you know, if you can sense that there's some type of press man on the outside, I'm trying to see what the releases are as quick as I can right there, and then get my eyes back onto where the ball is. Uh, and then sometimes you do get caught up following the ball, um, and that's one of the hardest things to do is is you know some of the matchups that you're looking for. So if you've got one of those out there pre-snap, then you've got to kind of stay on that as long as you can. So. Uh, it's different from play to play. Uh, once we get into the red zone, uh, you're gonna you're gonna shift uh, your focus from where you would be from 20 to 20. So uh, it, it's kind of like you know, for us as an analyst, it's kind of like what you are from a coach. You know, where, where are we at on the field? Uh, what's our down and distance? You know, we're kind of processing all that stuff from the information that we got, uh, trying to trying to stay a little bit ahead if we possibly can, which is virtually impossible, but staying as close as we can uh, to uh, to the, the the sequence of the play. Darrell, let's go back to Dak for one second. What is the value in the number of snaps he's getting in actual game situations this training camp? Uh, I think it's very important for him. Uh, And not only the number of snaps he's getting uh, that are probably a little bit more than than most guys would have had the opportunity, but the number of snaps he's getting with good players around him. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we can stress how important it is for Dak to be surrounded by good quality players. He's not coming in in the third quarter uh, with maybe some matchups that aren't favorable uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And, and when you see young quarterbacks struggle, a lot of times that's the reason why. There's not a lot of support for them to help them make the plays. But, but I have been impressed more so by, and we've heard this time and time again, uh, whether it's Jason Garrett or Wade Wilson or, or, or really anybody on the offensive side of the ball, how impressed they are with his composure, with his poise. Um, when you come from that spread offense from the collegiate level and move to the NFL level, uh, if, it's a, if it's a very uh, you know, wide-open style of spread, the huddle mechanics are something that's new to you. And I think he's handled that uh, extremely well. And, and I thought one of the big the big compliments coming off the Los Angeles Ram game was Wade Wilson talking to Travis Frederick and Zach Martin about how was Dak in the huddle? How did he handle everything in there? And for them to give him a really nice report there, I, I think that that's maybe one of the more important things that came out of that game that nobody really talked about because I really think uh, these guys coming from these big spread style offenses at the collegiate level really struggle with some of just the 
the fundamental things of, of now having to enunciate that play, get it into your communication uh, from the sideline in your helmet, now come back into the huddle, enunciate that play, now you're coming to the line of scrimmage, you're getting your pre-snap reads and doing a lot of different things there. So before the ball is even snapped, I, I think Dak has shown some, some really good growth in, in what I expected from him uh, coming into his rookie year. Have you, have you had an opportunity to sit down and talk with him yet? Yeah, I have not. I have not had an opportunity to talk to him. Um, but everything you're hearing from people that have spoken to him, I've seen a few interviews. I've, I've read some of his quotes. Uh, and again, you know, one of the, the another one. Here he is getting patted on the back, and everybody's complimenting him. And his response is, "I've still got a lot of work to do." So uh, that work ethic thing comes in. That you heard everybody talk about at Mississippi State as well. Uh, I'm guessing you've talked to, to Jason. And my question is, when when you talk to Jason, is there a different Jason? you're hearing from than the media hears from when you or Troy or uh, someone he knows, babe, goes in and talks to him. Is, is there a different conversation than if when I go in and talk to him? I would think so. I would think so. Um, you know, you're, you have a friendship there, uh, you know, teammates first and then friends from that standpoint. So there's going to be a, a trust factor. Um, you know, he knows that he can be more honest with you. And, and Barry, this goes all the way back to, you know, when Troy was playing and, I had everybody, you know, ask me, you know, well, how do you think Troy's going to do in broadcasting? And I said, I think he's going to do great. And they're like, well, why do you think that? You know, we see his press conferences after the game, and he's very curt. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of information there. Well, that, that was his job as the voice of the team. He wasn't supposed to give the local media any information. Um, you know, as, as the voice and the lead guy that's going to be interviewed after every game, which quarterbacks are, are usually that guy, um, you know, part of their role is, is, not, is not giving the local media you know, anything juicy that they can write about and, and create some division during the course of the preparation week. So I would listen to Troy sit down with Jason in the locker room and go over everything in very, very great detail uh, that happened during the course of the game. And then I'd watch him go across the hall with Rich Dalrymple and one word answer or cliche the local media to death and just, you know, completely frustrate him. But, you know, that's his role as the voice of the team. And I have told a ton of young quarterbacks. I said, listen, I don't know if you can find this anywhere on the Internet, but if you can find a YouTube video of a Troy Aikman press conference after a loss, I said, and watch how he handles that, um, you know, that that's a skill set that you're going to need to develop. If you're going to be the face of the franchise, if you're going to be the voice of the franchise, um, this is one of the things you have to do. You, you cannot allow anybody from the outside because of something you've said because you've reacted emotionally uh, to, to be able to drive a wedge or to create some type of division during your preparation week. And that is, I, I don't think that that fans quite get the, you know, on, on the baseball side, we've got a 10-minute cooling down so, cooling down period before you get into the clubhouse. Football, you guys come into the post-game press conference pretty quickly afterwards. And I don't know that, that the general fan gets how difficult it is to go from all the emotions that go with either a win or a loss or anything that went wrong in a game and then go into a press conference. The best that I've ever seen do this on the baseball side was Derek Jeter or Michael Young here in that both those guys could take everything that they that happened during the game, then kind of mush the words up a little bit to tell people, get a general message out without saying anything that would be in any way disrespectful to a teammate or an opponent or that would that would hint at any kind of division in the team. And it, it does take a real art. And, and I do think that those are also the guys who are probably the most candid inside the clubhouse and inside the locker room. Yes, they're usually the ones that know exactly what happened during the course of the game, football or baseball, 
as to why we didn't have success that day. And, and I'll go back. Um, I'm almost positive it was uh, it was the first game that, that Troy had retired. Um, could have been the Eagles opener back in 01. Um, I remember Emmett Smith coming to the podium, helmet in hand, eye black dripping, full sweat. You knew he just walked from field to podium. And I was like, oh, boy, uh, he's, he's raw emotionally right now. Um, you know, th- this is not going to be good. And, I'm, you know, you, you, know, you don't see Rich Dalrymple anywhere in the picture. So somehow, um, you know, Emmett got by him and just went in there, and, and he vented. And that's one of the things you can't do. And he spent the next 36, 48 hours in spin control uh, because he was honest and raw and emotional and all that stuff comes out and you can't do that. You, exactly like you said, Evan, you've got to be calculated. Um, you, you can give information, but it's very general. Um, you, you don't want to do anything specific and you definitely don't want to call out any coaching errors, any player errors during the course of the game uh, while you're on that podium. So let, let's talk about the, the guy who's supposed to do that for the Cowboys now, Tony Romo. We've talked a little bit about Dak. Everybody hopes that they never see Dak during the regular season. Uh, you know, we're, we're making a big deal about him now, and he, he's the, maybe a quarterback of the future. Maybe he's an emergency quarterback. But Tony Romo, ha- have you gotten to see him work uh, in in the preseason now? And obviously, he did in the game. And what do you think? How does how does he look to you? I think he looks good. I think he looks good. Um, you know, there's obviously concern about the collarbone, but the collarbone. <laughs> The collarbone's going to go. I mean, it's not like you can do something to prevent that. I mean, I don't know what you tell somebody, you know, learn, learn to know when the play's over a little bit quicker uh, to keep yourself out of harm's way. If you do get wrapped up, you got to fight with every ounce in your body to make sure you don't get trapped and tipped on your side. You know, you've got to fight and scratch and kick to get onto your stomach. So you can't have that guy pick you up and drive your shoulder into the ground. And, you know, whether you separate the shoulder or fracture the collarbone, you know, some of the injuries that he's had, are, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do, uh, and especially last season. So um, he's going to play the game, you know, fearlessly. I, I don't think you'll see, you know, any concern about him, you know, changing his style of play. Um, when he's healthy, he's one of the best there are in the NFL. I mean, he's had a couple of seasons that were overshadowed by, you know, I think one year we had two 5,000-yard passers for the first time. Uh, but Tony had a heck of a year, uh, especially from a, a TD to interception ratio. Um, the years that he's played really, really good football, there's been another quarterback in the league that's, that's put up some, some very, very impressive numbers, and, and Tony's been overshadowed. So, um, you know, I, I think that this year, I think Dez looks completely different. I'm, I'm hoping that last year was a, just an anomaly in his career uh, with the injury and then just not being able to get back. Um, he lo- I think he looks really, really good. Uh, I think when you read... Uh, the quotes coming from him, um, he's got that chip back on his shoulder uh, and wants to prove a lot of people uh, wrong that last season that it was exactly that, just an anomaly. Um, the offensive line, I think, will get off to a better start this year. I think they were a little bit slow starting last year. I think this defense is going to be better than people give it credit for. I really do. They're going to struggle in the beginning of the year uh, with DeMarcus out, uh, uh, with pressure off the edge. But Rob Marinelli will find some way to, to manufacture that. He'll, he'll have some things that he'll use those first four or five weeks of the season that won't be a part of the defense later on. But he has that uncanny ability to get the most out of guys, uh, even more than they can than they think they're willing to give or, or, or that they're able to do. Um, and, and I think he's going to do that. I think he's got those kind of guys up front. I think inside, I think Dallas is going to be very, very strong inside at the tackle position. And I think the back end is going to be really strong. And, and the passing game is pressure and coverage combined. 
And so in the beginning of the season, those first four weeks, those first five weeks, um, maybe the pressure's not there. I, I think that those guys in the back end are, are going to even that out. I, I think Byron Jones being locked in at safety. I think Morris Claiborne has been healthy. Uh, I think he's going to have the type of year that Dallas has been waiting for since they, they moved up to grab him at number six. Uh, Brandon Carr has got a lot to prove. Uh, Orlando Skandrick's got a lot to prove. And I think Orlando brings that attitude. He's got that swagger. Um, that was missing last year. Dallas was just, they were flat emotionally because they didn't have Orlando on the defense. And Dez was in and out of the lineup on the offensive side of the ball. So the two guys that are your emotional heart and soul on each side of the ball uh, were, were not there last season uh, the way they normally are. And I think you're going to see a big change from that aspect because we talk about scheme and matchups and all this different stuff uh, during the course of the game, but it's, it's still a very, very emotional game at its core. And, and when you've got your two most emotional guys out of the lineup, that's going to have an impact. You mentioned at the very beginning the uh, on the defensive side uh, of the ball the, the takeaway aspect, and this team was so good at, at creating takeaways two years ago and, and seemed to lose that last year. Does it have the defensive personnel to create a, a plus-minus takeaway situation? It does, but does it have the offensive personnel to create the environment where that's possible? Um, in, in 2014, um, you know, Dallas played with a lead, so you've got a different mindset, different mentality late in the game. Um, you know, last year, uh, you know, they were they were behind most of the time. The other team's got the ball. Sure. They're not trying to get down the field to score to, to tie it up or to or to take the lead. They're they're grinding it out. They're they're running the clock out. And and in those situations, rule number one, um, you know, ball security becomes paramount. It, it's important all the time, but in, in a in a four minute situation, uh, it's paramount. So Dallas was just facing different uh, different circumstances different circumstances. Um, you know, kind of the, the different way the, the season had gone. So you get into that fourth quarter, it's completely different in 2015 than it was in 2014. So I think a lot of that was the opportunities weren't there. Now, when you have, uh, you know, <laughs> you know the, the fewest amount of takeaways uh, in, in NFL history tied with a couple other teams, you know, obviously it, it, it's more than that that goes into it. Sure. So, yeah, there, there are some other things that are there, but I just don't think they had the opportunities they had in 14. But that will be – that will be paramount to their success defensively this year. Because in 2014, there weren't a lot of expectations for them. They were coming off of you know, the, the franchise's worst defensive performance in 2013. DeMarcus Ware is gone. Jason Hatcher is gone. Uh, you know, Sean Lee gets hurt in OTAs, and he's going to be missed for the entire season. So you're coming into 2014 you know, probably not thinking this defense is going to do a whole lot. They were great on third-down defense, and they were great taking the ball away. If they can, if they can do that again this year, uh, and, and I think you should have a similar dynamic with the offense. Um, you know, they shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't be playing uh, the style of games that they had in the fourth quarter like last season. I think you know, Dallas will be up. The other team will be you know, a little bit more aggressive in the fourth quarter trying to get back into the game. Uh, there'll be opportunities for them, and if they can take advantage of those, then yeah, you'll start to see those numbers go up. Daryl, have you had the uh, Fox broadcast seminar yet with your fellow broadcasters? We did not do one this year. Oh, no. This is the first time, yeah, we did not have one. So we'll be going, uh, we're, we're week two in New York, so we are gonna be, uh, we're going to go up a day early and, and go to the NFL offices and, and get some of the, uh, the, the work done that we would have had done at seminar there. Uh, you know, we've been constant contact with Mike Pereira uh, over the last month or so with all the new rule changes when they came out uh, and, and going over all that, making sure we're square there. So we're kind of piecemealing it together. Uh, we'll be a little bit behind the eight ball from where we normally are. Uh, going into the season, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't have the seminar. And, and for us, you know, the guys that are on the road—that's the only time everybody thinks that we get to see Jimmy and Michael and Howie and Terry all the time. You know, that's the only time we get to see them 
is seminar. Right. And, and really, the only time we get to see each other is seminars. So we didn't have that this year. So uh, yeah, we, we were all a little bit disappointed because it's good to get back together with everybody and kind of get focused in on football. I don't know how anybody sees Michael anymore, Michael Strahan. Uh, I, I, turn I on, know. He, he is the, the hardest working man in show business now. I turn on the TV. He's on the $100,000 pyramid. I, he, I didn't even know that. I turned he, that on yesterday. I'm like, holy smokes. Oh, you're the other one. I, my wife and I were watching that last night. And we're going, do you think we're the only two people in America watching this show? But no, you watched it also. Did, was, that used to be one of my favorite shows growing up as a kid. <laughs> we I, we had this discussion in the Rangers Clubhouse the other day about games game shows that uh, uh, we loved as a kid. I was a, I was a uh, uh, Joker's Wild guy. That was my show. No. Yeah. Joker's wild. I loved it. Not, not, not big bucks, no whammies, right? You didn't. You weren't that guy. Was that, was that Jack Barry? That, well, everything was Jack Barry at that point in time. Yeah, it's right. Everything was Jack Barry. Yeah. Uh, we'll go back. I was. Uh, I was Hollywood Squares. Um, Password. Um, Password was a good one. Uh, still, it's still a big Wheel of Fortune fan. How about uh, it's not what you? Me. It's not what you say that counts. It's what you don't say. Do you remember that show? Or you're too young? No, no Barry. That's. <laughs> That's your generation. I'm, I'm sorry. Afraid. Hey, Moose, before we let you go, I, I, I do need to get your take, if we can, on the NFC East. Because, it, uh, you know, you listen to people, you, you hear what people are saying at this point in time, and it does sound like, once again, it's a very evenly matched division. Do you see anybody standing out as a favorite, or do you see the Cowboys standing out as a favorite? I see Dallas standing out as a favorite. Um yeah, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of discussion when people are trying to figure out, well, well, who are really the Dallas Cowboys? Are they the 2015 version or the 2014 version? I think that's a pretty simple question to answer. Uh, when, when you lose your starting quarterback for as many games as they did and Dez is not 100%, and, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that contributed. Now, that's not to say that some other issues popped up during the course of 2015 that probably wouldn't have popped up, um, and you got to get those fixed as well. But I, I just I really see Dallas – uh, as the favorite in the NFC East, um, we did seven Washington games last year, and I did watch the Redskins become a much better team. Uh, we started them at two and five. I think our first game with them, they were two and five, and so we were kind of with them that whole run on the back end of the season. And they got better and better and better each week. Their offensive line uh, is, is leaps and bounds from where they were a couple of years ago. That was the biggest. Uh, the biggest challenge for them, and, uh, and and Bill Callahan is there, and he's got those guys working hard. Um, you know th- that'll be the difference if that if that offensive line for Washington stays healthy. Um, you know, I, I we're all waiting to see what Kirk Cousins does this year. Was that just uh, a, a one shot deal, a flash in the pan? And I think you can tell by by ownership and, and by personnel in Washington just to give him, you know, the franchise tag. They're still not sure. You know, they want him to come back and do it again before they sign a long term deal. Uh, to put him up uh, as one of the higher-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. So, um, you know, I, I think Washington is is, is legitimate, um, and it's just going to a question of whether they can take that next step. I think there's a lot of continuity in New York. Um, they needed to increase the talent level on the defensive side of the ball. Um, their offensive line needs to get a little bit better as well. Uh, but Ben McAdoo is, you know, Eli's going to have another good season, so I think that they're right in the mix. The, to me, the outlier is Philadelphia. You know, who are they? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think when you talk about the Eagles, they, you know, they, they, during the Chip Kelly era, there was so much talent that left uh, Philadelphia. Um, you've got guys that you know you hope to get a hold of, and to let Deshaun Jackson and um, Jeremy Macklin and, and you know just Lashawn McCoy and you know Nick Foles. I mean, it's just my gosh, you know, I mean, teams would 
you know, you're fighting and scratching to try to get talented guys like that that, that can change a game with one snap of the ball. And so they've got they've got they've got to get some playmakers on that offensive side of the ball. You talk to Philly fans, and they're just they're not sure what's going to happen on the outside. They didn't upgrade the receiver group. Uh, they they thought that that was one of the areas that they definitely needed to improve. And it was kind of status quo there. Um, I, I think one of the big things, uh, you know, I think you've you've got um, uh, oh gosh, just went blank on his name. Uh, the, the old Buffalo Bills head coach coming in as a defensive coordinator, um, getting back to the wide nines and stuff like that. Right. From uh, So I, I think defensively they'll be good because they've got good personnel. Uh, it, it's all about what happens with the offense and Sam Bradford and, and everything there. But um, I, I think, you know, Dallas, Dallas should be, you know, at, at the end of the year they should win the East, uh, maybe a tight battle with Washington down the stretch and then the Giants. Uh, should be you know kind of on the heels of them, and then we'll have to wait and see who Philadelphia is. All right, so before we let you go, I have one question. Evan maybe promised not to ask it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many yards could you have gained if you were the primary running back in the Cowboy offense back in the 90s? Were, were you a 1,000-yard-a-season guy? No, I'm not, a, I'm not an all-stop type guy. Um, you know, I, I, I was uh, in, in college we were a straight-line option team, um, we had a little bit of a belly series in there, uh, but it was, uh, you know, for me, it was, you know, tough yards inside. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, our offensive line was so good. You know, there, there are 16 games where I got to average you know, 65 yards a game. I might have been able to pull off 65 yards a game behind that offensive line and got a thousand or a thousand one. But, uh, I, I, you know, for me, um, you know, it, it, it was, I knew early on what my role was going to be. And, and in 89, when everything kind of went south on us and, you know, towards the end of the season, I, I did get to carry the ball a little bit more than probably anticipated just because of attrition at the position. Right. Um, you know, it, it's different at the NFL. Um, they, they really attack the football. Uh, and that was something that I had to get used to. So um, our offensive line was good, though. I might have been able to churn out 750, Barry. I might have been able to get 750. Well, that that would have been, of course. Uh, I guess in '90 they uh, saw you run and they brought in Emmett Smith, right? Exactly. I was the reason that Emmett Smith was brought to the Cowboys. Just think if I'd have, just think if I'd have gone for for you know 150 that last game against Green Bay in 1989. <laughs> it might have, been, might have been some hesitation to pull the trigger on Emmett Smith. Uh, so you did good, Daryl. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, thanks for putting up with Evan, who brought baseball clubhouses in there. I can only speak to what I know, Barry. Hey, th- Moose, this was this was absolutely great. I, I really appreciate the insight on on the Cowboys and what you saw. It, it's great to get a perspective from from an analyst at this point in time, just from the idea that you know training camp, especially in the NFL, is such a it, it's it's such a crapshoot to try and figure out what you see. Uh, I, I think when you're taking that thirty thousand foot view that. Appreciate somebody from inside the game giving us some some real feel here. So thank you very much. Yeah, the, yeah. The, sto- the story that I share with everybody is is uh, 1989. Uh, we were three and one. I'm pretty sure we were three and one in the preseason. I think the only game we lost was at Denver, the last preseason game of the year before we came back to Dallas. Uh, they brought Elway back in to the game, if I remember correctly, and we either lost uh, right at the end of the fourth quarter. Right, that might even have been the time when we had overtime still in the preseason. We might have lost in overtime. Oh so we God. finished three and one, and everybody's all psyched up about what the season's going to be. And week one, we go down to New Orleans, and we get beat twenty-eight to nothing. Uh, so I learned real quick that the preseason and the regular season are completely different, and you really can't draw a lot of 
predictions based on how teams played um, in, in the preseason. Now, you, you don't want to go, you know, 0-4, um, but, but this is just, you're trying to get through that without anybody getting hurt, getting the guys the, the amount of snaps that you feel they need, um, you know, answering a couple of questions, and then, then you really get ready to go uh, week one. So that was a huge lesson for me, and so I try to share that with people when, you know, you see somebody like a Dak Prescott having the type of year for me, I'm always hesitant. Well, why is he doing that? What kind of coverage is he, is he seeing right now? What will, the, what will the difference be in these defenses week one compared to week one and week two of the preseason? And how much more of a challenge will that be for Dak Prescott? So I, I tell everybody, take everything with a grain of salt. But, but with Dak, you know, don't discount how well he's playing. He's, he's playing really, really well right now for a young guy that came out of a spread system. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with what he's doing. And, and where will you and Kenny be week one? We're going to be in Indianapolis. We've got Detroit at Indianapolis, so we get Andrew Luck's first game back, which is uh, which would be kind of cool. That's great. And week two, you have your week two schedule. Week two, yeah, we're all the way through week eight. Uh, week two, we are uh, New Orleans at the Giants. Uh, week three, we are Arizona at Buffalo. Week four, we are Detroit at Chicago, and then I'll get a little sketchy on you uh, after that. Uh, I know we've got uh, Atlanta week seven, week eight. Um, one of them is a Green Bay, uh, one of them is San Diego, um, and then in between uh, weeks five and week six, I'm, for some reason I'm having trouble always remembering those two. Um, That's but, okay. Uh, yeah, we've got a nice little schedule going. Good. I have trouble remembering uh, yesterday. Anyway, Moose, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks. Take, Take care. care. There he goes, Daryl Moose Johnson. Great. Great stuff on the Cowboys preseason. I do think that the great takeaway there is don't discount what Dak Prescott has done in the first two games. But it is preseason. But also don't expect that he's going to come in and do this in a regular season game if asked to if if asked to do so. Yeah, it's uh, but it's, it's again it's like we it's it's like we everybody wants Dak to do good. Everybody wants him to be great. Wants him to look good. But nobody wants to really see him play once the season starts. What uh, what I thought the thing that he mentioned that, that Moose mentioned that was really significant. Have was, I told you he doesn't like to be called Moose? I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, no, he does. I was kidding. Okay, the 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 thing that I thought that was most significant is the stuff he talked about before the snap, the the way he's breaking the huddle, the way he's he's communicating, the way he is he seems to have the offense down. Um, the, those are the things much more than the the long run or or the or the long pass, the, the 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 kind of things that you want from a game manager who will go in there and when he does have a first team offense and when he does have all the first team personnel with him, that he'll be able to 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 get that extra amount of time to make good decisions. Yeah, this was kind of a change of pace for us. We had uh, a, a TV analyst on with us instead of the usual David Moore. Uh, Don't be ripping on David. No, Moore. he'll be. We, we want him to come back next week. But this was a good change of pace for us. And, and if any listeners want to let us know uh, if if they prefer this or if they like this, we we can have anal- NFL analysts on uh, all the time. I'm not sure they'll be as uh, good as uh, Daryl Johnson was, but uh, that's something we'd like. To, we'd like to. Yeah, have we listeners. we definitely would. And. Oh. No, we definitely would. Why are you dismissing me? I'm not dismissing you at all. I'm encouraging it. I don't think we even need to, to hear from from listeners to to agree that when you get somebody along the lines of of Daryl or uh, another NFL analyst, or when you we'll finally have, we, get, we're going to have Jerry Jones when on. you finally get Jerry. I'm, I'm going to head out there later this week and I'll set it up. Because well, let's talk. I want to talk to him about the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah. And the Ring of Honor. Yeah, how, co- how come you, you don't have to be retired to go into the Hall of Fame as a uh, whatever he's going in, whatever he's as, as a uh, contributor? Contributor. Yeah, yeah. Players have to be retired for five years, I think. Right before you can, because there's a there's a there's an infinite amount of time that you can be a contributor. So, so yeah, it, you don't have to stop. Okay. All right. So anyway, oh Tommy, 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 why are you laughing? Because he realizes that you're just wasting our time. Okay. So uh, you know. Kevin will be back with us next week for the first time in five five. He's six coming weeks. off the island, the naked and afraid island. He's coming back. Um, he has has he left Rio? I believe it, this is Monday. I believe he's leaving today, and he'll be back tomorrow in Dallas. And he's immediately leaving for New York. He's I driving saw, his daughter to New York. I think I, I we didn't have this in the paper today, but I am pretty sure that last night Kevin was in. One of the conga lines dancing on the floor of the Maracana. He was. I, I saw him. I, I actually saw him. I have the video. I'll send you the video. That would be great. We Evan, love- what else do we have? What else do we have today uh, on our podcast? Well, we're going to have on the college balls, we're going to have Chuck Carlton, and we're going to break down the AP and Chuck's own top 25. Uh, he didn't have Texas in his top 25. And he had Baylor. Um, and then we are going to have on the Rangers ballsy, we are going to have John Daniels talking about uh, lots of stuff that is going on with the team right now, including uh, including the signing of Carlos Gomez. So uh, if you're listening to this now, you've obviously found the podcast, but if you want to subscribe on iTunes, it's ballsy, B-A-L-L-Z-Y. You can also follow us on Twitter at ballsy podcast, again, with a Z in place of an S. And uh, you can always send comments to me at uh, uh, on Twitter at Evan underscore P underscore Grant or where for you, Barry. I'm at at Behorn 55. And the reason I hesitated, I'm just looking at a long text I got from Kevin Sherrington, whose flight is delayed. Ooh. Now it's he's leaving at nine o'clock tonight. OK, well, that's great. Um, anyway, so this has been great. Thank you for joining us on Ballsy, the Cowboy Edition, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. So long, everybody. Bye.